Just stop it. The run of the mill, cheesy, humdrum bullshit status quo just tires me out. What fascinates me are the industry disruptors, the superhuman frontiersmen or women who go through hell to achieve their goals. Join me as we meet and learn from those mavericks, rebels, and business leaders that aren't afraid to piss off the establishment in order to make radical change for good. Sponsored by Johto PR, the disruptive anti-PR firm that murders your competition with cinder blocks and cyanide. This is Disruption Interruption. Welcome back, everybody, to Disruption Interruption. I'm your host, KJ, and we're here today to talk to someone who has taken the reins of their industry horse and steered it off the lame, tired path of the status quo. Today's guest is a chief growth officer. Why is that important? Well, companies today can no longer rely off of easy growth in today's digital fast environment. He's an experienced badass in the field of global IT implementations. Why is that? He has a background as an Accenture consultant. He was the co-founder, and he still is an advisor of an innovative Pintest as a service company. And he today is the co-founder of the fastest and most friendly onboarding flow builder for SaaS online businesses on the market. Coming to us live from the San Francisco Bay Area, please welcome our disruptor, co-founder, and CGO at UserFlow, Esben Fries Jensen. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Good morning. How are you, Esben? I'm good. I'm good. I uh, just had my morning coffee and everything is great. Okay, good. Me too. <laughs> so you're disrupting this whole, you know, um, onboarding of SaaS, flow builder for SaaS companies. So before we get into that, I want you to really tell me, like, what is your main ingredient for disruption? I think it's, uh, as, as many uh, founders in the tech space, it's really about uh, looking at something and, and, and seeing uh, this can be done smarter, and especially with software um, instead of uh, the manual or, or legacy process. Um, so that's how I look at, at most things. It's like, uh, if it's not involving software, um, then uh, it could probably be done better. Um, and that's what I've done with both of my businesses, uh, both in Cobalt, where we changed uh, a more traditional kind of security testing industry into a more modern software-driven um, uh, method. And then with Userflow now, we are we're helping people onboard better on software products so we can uh, bring more software solutions to the world. Um, so I'm really driven by, uh, you know, getting more software out there uh, in the world. Um, there's a famous kind of quote from a, a, a VC investor called Mark Andreessen, where it says software is eating the world. And I think it still is, um, even though the stock market right now might not uh, reflect that or uh, they, they have some doubts, then I think it, it will bounce back. And uh, yeah, there's so much, um, so, so many legacy processes in the world that needs to uh, be, be driven by software instead of paper. I agree with you on that. So um, this is a new one, but software is leading the world, right? Um, and so that is really your main disruption, figuring out a way for software to make people's lives easier, work easier. So, so you're helping people um, really actually be compliant with like as compliant customers, right? Like actually user customers for yeah, SaaS say, companies. Yeah, you can say what Userflow does is, is uh, it 
it allows software businesses to add a layer on top of their uh, own software uh, without having developers involved. So they can build it like custom success managers or product managers. They can build these layers on top, which is basically guides to the user on how to use the software. Um, uh, so that can be checklists, it can be like step-by-step uh, -step guides, it can be uh, links, et cetera. So, so we're really helping these software customers better onboard um, uh, customers and particularly maybe non-tech savvy uh, customers, right? Somebody who needs a bit more guidance uh, when using the software. Um, so I think that's, that's, uh, that's something I, I find great uh, because one, it of course, it, it in general helps these software companies become more effective, but it also um, helps a lot of people to use uh, software, basically. Um, Which is making them more effective because they want people to use their software, right? So exactly. it's kind of like so a double-edged like sword. Exactly. It has a, a, a triple effect. So that's uh, nice. Yeah. Well, so what is this? You know, let's talk about this because let's, you know, the SaaS market is rapidly blowing up, right? Um, I just was reading statistics of how many tens of thousands of SaaS companies have, you know, come onto the market, are on the market. But what's the status quo of these SaaS companies in the terms of users and, you know, them being user friendly? I mean, we have a variety of apps that we use and not all of them are user friendly, right? Um, and some of them are really robust and it sort of pisses us off right because <laughs> we yeah. can't really use them but build the status quo for me yeah no so i don't have any like statistics on the ux it's hard to do that right um yeah but there's definitely uh there's a new trend in the software as a service market called product-led growth uh, and what that speaks to is a new kind of way of thinking about your software uh, where you focus more on having the product drive more of the of the growth basically. And actually a big part of that is uh, that you need a great UX in your product uh, because otherwise people wouldn't know how to use the product without support, right? Um, and I think software as a service companies in the past have been getting away with um, uh, just having customer success or customer support uh, be a, a stopgap solution, right? Where they can cover all the gaps in the software. Uh, and especially in enterprise software where you have a lot of functionality, uh, you, you often end up solving the support part by, um, by adding people, right? Um, and, but what this product-led growth movement does is really uh, start thinking about that in another way where you think, okay, what if we didn't add people? How, what should we do with the product to actually make it easier to use, right? And maybe that will result in cutting features sometimes that's actually not unrealistic that you sometimes cut away some of the fat from the from these applications uh, but it's also about improving the general ux and improving things like onboarding for instance using tools like uh, our own user flow isn't it sort of like an oxymoron when you have a software that's supposed to make things uh easier and the workflow uh you know, less burdensome that you have to ask, yeah. add more people to it to actually operate it? Well, I think uh, I think so, probably even though it's a bloated software, then it's still better than the traditional process, which was right. maybe paper and pen or whatever spreadsheets. Um, so I think it's already, it's always a good step. And typically what just ends up happening with these software products is 
as they grow, they start adding more and more features, right? If you look at something like Salesforce, which is a widely used I was software just application thinking by, of that. Yeah. Uh, salespeople, you, you, I mean, they grow and grow and then they keep adding features, right? But if you really look at it, probably the majority of Salesforce users are just using the core functionality of Salesforce. So uh, I think they could win a lot. And I think they are actually, I think they offer like a, an essentials product, which is more focused towards the maybe SMBs and so on, where they actually cut away a, a lot of this extra stuff, right? Because it's just um, kind of uh, confusing, right? You don't need to look at all that stuff. Um, so, so I think in general, software uh, makes things better. What then ends up happening is you sometimes end up adding too many things uh, and making it complex. Um, and that is, of course, not good. So then you have to rethink again, and how can I make it smarter, better UX, and so on. But in general, I think software always makes things better. But then you, the next step is making the software better yes. or keeping the software good. Uh, well, of course you would say that because that's your main ingredient, right? Yeah. Software makes things better. <laughs> software is leading the yeah. world, right? Yeah. So now we have software to make software better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes, exactly. That's, yeah. You can kind of say that. And I think yeah. it's an evolution, right? That makes sense. First, you have to get people to use software. And then as you have gotten that, uh, that has happened, then you start improving your software and making it better, right? And smarter. What, what has been the biggest pain point, the pent up demand that makes this innovation so demanded right now of making software now to make software better? I think uh, one of the big changes has been this whole, the, some people call it the end user era, uh, basically the new generation coming out uh, on the workplace um, um, are used to technology. Uh, they're used to using mobile apps, uh, software for all sorts of things, right? Um, and they expect the same in their workplace and they expect to actually self-serve. They don't expect that they need to speak with a customer success or customer support or whatever, um, they want to have those available, but they don't see it as a necessity to get started, right? And the problem for um, software as a service is was they had kind of ended up in a situation where they had made or have made, and some businesses are still in that state, where they've made customer success a necessity, right? Uh, they, are, they need to be there for you to start using this uh, software product. But in, in the end user era, that's not good because they people get annoyed by that adding that people uh, extra layer unnecessary layer right and you should instead focus on how can we allow them to self serve and then of course be there when they need support but don't make it a, a necessary step got it so we're so we're in this end user era yeah right when when did that sort of start coming to fruition I think probably in the 2000s already. So these things, or maybe uh, 2010, I would say probably. Uh, and it, it's, it just moves slow, right? It, it's, uh, it, I would say actually, I've, I've always been a big advocate for self-service myself. Uh, so my generation as well, like it, depending on how tech savvy you were. But I think the big difference is now the generation right after mine, maybe, uh, a lot more tech savvy, all of them, right? Uh, so they're like just expecting these things um, and it will only, uh, for each generation, it's only become more and more. It's only going to uh, accelerate, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, so so I think it's been kind of there, but it hasn't been enough people to justify it. But now I think we're in a state where there's enough people to justify it. Um, 
uh, that you have to make the, uh, self-service a big focus uh, for your software. Well, you obviously saw that um, before you founded Userflow, right? Yeah. You obviously saw this as an opportunity. What are what are some of the things that you saw as how the market was changing, other than what you've already said? So I was in uh, Cobalt before, just to give some background on that. I started uh, eight years ago. I started another company called Cobalt uh, with my with three Danish uh, co-founders. Um, and what we did was, uh, it was a software as a service platform for security testing, uh, so penetration testing as it's called. Um, and uh, in the beginning, we were replacing, we actually went through the, this exact evolution, right? And we, we were replacing the consultancies. So they were very much like selling this on, you know, spreadsheet, you get your result in a spreadsheet, you, you know, you, uh, um, yeah, you, you, we do the test, but we don't really give you any transparency how we do the tests. Uh, you just get a report in then, which is a Word document and a spreadsheet, right? Um, and what we did is we turned this process into software. So suddenly people could follow the test in real time. They could see the results as they come in. They could communicate with the testers via the software and all this stuff, right? Um, over time, though, we added customer success as a big part of this uh, software. Um, and that meant we, uh, you can say, we some of the self-service components, there were some things you just couldn't do self-service in our product, right? Um, and we realized that, I think, three years ago or so. Uh, and then we started saying, okay, that's, that's not good enough, right? Like, if we want to play in this end-user era, uh, we need to have the entire software be self-service, right? Um, and, and make it general, uh, real, you can say, true software, as I was called. Um, and basically, uh, that's the journey we embarked on. So we basically moved towards this product-led growth and started looking at all the processes in the in the software platform and uh, trying to make them self-service and, and product-led. Um, and that that whole process, I loved it. Um, what did you and, love about uh, it? Yeah, I know. I just think that's it's kind of like taking a process that's, that has a lot of stop gaps and is ineffective. And then you have to look at, okay, each and single step, um, how could we turn this into a self-service experience? And actually, one thing that's interesting about that is that you have to cut away things uh, because it's um, a lot of the things you do as a person, uh, it doesn't work in a self-service world, right? Like um, you can, yes, you can add a lot more support uh, in a, as a person. You can give customized answers and all this stuff, right? But that's, you don't need this, a person, a user doesn't necessarily need that, right? It's not a need to have, it's a nice to have. Um, and um, so, so you really had to think really tough on each of these processes and say, okay, is this a need to have step or could we just cut it away, right? Like, could we just make it a, a nice to have step that people can buy as an extra package if they want the person to support them on this, right? Um, uh, but in general, all the need to have steps should be self-service. Uh, and that was, a, I love that kind of like optimization and thinking of creatively about um, processes and so on. Um, so yeah, so that's the, that's the process we went through. And that's what inspired me to, to, uh, to join uh, Userflow together with my co-founders. Well, that makes total sense because it has a lot to do with um, the inspection and evaluation of business processes just in general. Like you look at yeah. nice to haves and the things that are vital, right? Yeah. And you focus on the vital and that sounds like what you're doing. Exactly. Tell me, um, 
tell me more about this innovation. Tell me more about the software that supports the software. Yeah, no. So it's really, it's, it, it is a big, it's part of, besides from being part of this whole product growth trend, it's also a big part of another trend called no code, low code. Um, and that's something you're going to hear more and more in the future. Uh, and really what that is about, it's about um, allowing non-developers to build software. Um, so uh, basically uh, imagine that uh, you, you can allow anybody to build. It's, that's actually been the case for, for many years. You can allow anybody to build a website, right? Using things like WordPress and, and things like that. Yeah. But now it, it starts to become more sophisticated software you can build without code. Um, and that's a very interesting journey because suddenly the, the developers become, they become more the tool builders, right? And that's what we become in Userflow. We become the tool builders. So we build a tool that allows others to build, right? Uh, so we're building a tool um, that, that, um, that allows non-developers to basically build these onboarding journeys and quite sophisticated onboarding journeys uh, with uh, contextualization, personalization, all this stuff without having to involve developers. And that's, uh, yeah, it just changes the world, right? Because, uh, and this can continue uh, to other areas, right? And suddenly you, you end up in a world where it's like the salesperson is building the sales software, uh, right? And the customer success person is building the customer success uh, processes software in the company, right? Um, so that's, yeah. It's yeah, that's kick ass. You know, it, 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 is, yeah. it is changing the world. You are interrupting a whole value network. I mean, yeah. you're interrupting the developers. Yes. I mean, really. You, that. you no, are. <laughs> we, are, we are taking some work away from developers, but then they can focus. You can say in, a, in the software companies we're selling to, then they can focus on the core product that they're selling, right? Like they have some core product that they are selling, which is uh, whatever that is, right? Um, uh, so so then they, they can focus 100% on that. And then they don't have to focus on like the onboarding piece. Like you can say the, the, or of course they have to, they have to make the software great to use and all that stuff. Right. But they don't have to focus on all of the aspects of onboarding. Um, and, and, and I think that's, that, that allows them to be more focused um, on the right things. Yeah, I agree with you. And do you think that, I mean, I'm sure that in a perfect world, they started off wanting and, needing and thinking they were going to have that hundred percent core focus on the product. Right. But yeah. then it went on to the onboarding and so forth. And do you think the majority of developers then put way more time on the onboarding aspect than they initially yeah. wanted to? Yeah, no, for sure. I think in general, if you look at a soft, any software company today, uh, there are things that, uh, and, and actually it's a way to think about businesses in general, right? What's your core product? Like what is truly your core product and what is something that everybody does, right? Um, uh, because if you look at a software company, there are things that everybody does that you don't need to build yourself. Um, and for instance, a simple example of that is payments, right? Like payments, yeah. everybody needs to handle payments and payments is a pretty standardized workflow, right? It's like, you insert a credit card, you select some kind of plan or product and you get a receipt or invoice, right? Um, 
that's a very standardized process. And that's why a company, there's a company called Stripe, uh, which is like, uh, I can't remember what they're worth these days, but it's it's going to go public uh, probably soon, I guess. Um, and then we'll be able to buy their stock. Uh, but they right now, they're on the private market and they are like worth billions of worth, right? Because what they're doing is allowing these software companies to just plug and play a payment solution into their software. Um, and then they don't have to focus on that piece, right? Now they don't have to build a payment uh, payment part of their app, right? They just need to plug and play Stripe into it. Um, and that that's huge, right? And there are many areas like that. So onboarding is another one, right? Like I, I just told you. Um, and, and you can keep going. There will be all these different like areas. Integrations is another big one, I think, where there's a big gap in the market. A lot of companies today building their own integrations which is kind of silly right why are they doing that like this should just be a software to solve that and there are some software but it's not uh, i don't think it's perfect yet um but yeah so these are areas and i think you can think about any business in that way right um like what's your core product you should really be focused on that and for everything else you you can use like uh, third-party solutions i think there are some exceptions to the to the rule, I think some very large companies, maybe the fangs of the world, they like to keep things very controlled, right? Yep. So they might want to do all of this themselves. But I think that's the exception to the rule, right? Like the rest of us, we don't need that, right? We can. Well, the fangs are not tools. the majority. That's for no, sure. No, exactly. Right. Yeah. And, they you know, like anytime you disrupt themselves. something, you're really disrupting a very large majority of the population that has had this pent up demand, right? Yeah. It's the yeah. underserved, right? Um, yeah, it is. So what types, what types of companies are you working with now? Like what are the areas that you're really helping them, these non-developers so we, develop? Yeah, no, we, we work with a lot of like software as a service companies, right? A lot of B2B with complex software enterprise platforms, right? That need so onboard users. But another big area is also education. So the whole education industry, software for education for teachers, students. Um, uh, that's a big area for us. Uh, I think because you can't expect teachers necessarily are very tech savvy. So you need onboarding uh, for your software for those. Um, and there, and those, there's typically also quite a bit of a scale. So there's a lot of teachers you need to onboard. So doing it as a physical training or like a person doing it it would just be you know a waste of money mm -hmm. um so so yeah so that's a big area for us but yeah in general software uh, a lot of b2b but also yeah education, b2b enterprise uh, and education yeah who are the like the positions or the types of people that are the early adopters of this that end up finding you that are really yeah. on board. So for, for us, it's really the customer success managers and product managers, right? It's not the developers. It's the, it's the people who think they need it, right? Like they, they want to do better at like onboarding uh, self-service. And then you're of course also because of this product led growth trend, you're seeing a general like a strategic direction for many of these companies and we need to be product-led so they built like uh, focused teams on becoming product-led right and that team will then reach out to us um, 
But yeah, custom success uh, product managers, the, those are the typical ones that sign up with Userflow. Um, that and makes then of sense. course, founders for very early stage companies, right? They will, they always looking for interesting stuff. Right. That makes sense with the customer success officers. I mean, that's their biggest pain point is customer success, right? Yes, exactly. Who are the ones that are still resistant to this type of change? Oh, it's, I don't think anybody's like, it's probably down to the different companies. Um, I think even developers love this because it's like, uh, you know, it takes away some of their work uh, so they can focus on the core as we talked about. So I'm not seeing a, a ton of resistance. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing, uh, no, honestly, no, no, it's, it's not, I, I couldn't come up with somebody who's like resistance against, against our software. I think with Cobalt, that was a lot easier. Um, with, with Cobalt, where we were replacing consultancies and we were doing this like Uber for pen testing kind of model uh, where you were like have, using freelancers who were using software. And there was a lot of resistance in like, but how can we trust these pen testers? They're freelancers, right? Um, yeah. And of course we added all sorts of, again, we use software to solve the problem. So we used identity software, background check software. So they went through all the same and maybe even more checks than a pen tester and a consultancy, but there was this traditional kind of, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, there were these people who were like, but I can't see the person and therefore I can't trust them. Right. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, uh, this kind of thing. Um, and uh, so, so that, that resistance we had to beat. And, and I think we did that over time, right. Because we just made a much more effective and efficient process. So, so it was just a no-brainer to go with with uh, with the Cobalt, right? And and we also showed that you could trust these freelancers and that you could actually get better talent by using freelancers because you are not limited to a local uh, group of people, right? Um, so, so I think we changed that uh, perception over time, but that was a that was a big big change uh, for us. To it was make, a big challenge. Uh, Exactly. A lot of people had to be convinced that they could trust these people and and understand, okay, now it's in the software and all this stuff. You don't have to use these uh, traditional brands anymore, right? Um, and I think that that's that's really the big part. One thing we're facing with Userflow now that I actually talk about, but it's not really related to our product, but that is uh, we are heavy product-led business ourselves. And uh, we are 100% bootstrapped. We are only three people. Uh, but we have 400 plus customers and we have millions in AR as for annual recurring revenue. But there are still sometimes people who say, but why don't you have 100 employees? Why don't you like, uh, I'm not sure I trust this small company. And if you look at it, we could be a company with 50 employees, right? Uh, so it's not uh, from when you look at everything else than employee count, then we could be right. Um, That's actually so one of your made, biggest assets, Espen. Exactly, is the we fact made that a big, you are lean, and it is only three people, and look what you're able to do. It's a, it's a true testament of your story. Yeah, no, exactly, and it's uh, we're we're sell, You can say we're eating our own dog food, right? We are, we're selling, we're doing what we're selling, right? Um, and and I think that's for me huge right and and some people resonate with that but there is still like and it's especially in the procurement departments they have this like more very 
rigid way of looking at things, right? Where it's like, okay, what's their rev what's the revenue? They won't even ask. They're like, have you raised money and so on? You know, these kind of things like uh, becomes decision criteria as a risk assessment, right? Um, but I would argue like we have all the other numbers in order, so it's not a it shouldn't be a problem, right? But that is that's a challenge that we're trying to to beat because we want to show the world that you can actually build a company that's pretty lean and effective, um, especially a software company. It makes total sense. I mean, I hear that in many different industries and even my industry, when people go into buy services or products, they're asking questions that are really based off of 50 or 70 year old business processes, you know, how they (laughs) used to buy then. And that has become the norm and they they're doing it because they don't know. They think this is the standard way to do it. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, your story is actually a real testament to it. You should push yeah. that bigger and bigger and bigger. And, it is the biggest think, challenge though, isn't it? Yeah, and another big part of this is, um, and I think that we all can, this is, um, I was thinking yesterday if I should make a campaign around this, but uh, no, so um, the, big, the other big thing is, and I think this whole remote working thing has shown is we have way too many meetings. We have way too many, uh, you know, unnecessary uh, sales meetings or business meetings and all sorts of things. And a lot of things could be handled by writing an email where you ask the actual question and somebody respond back. This is the answer to your question. Uh, go and look at it, right? Um, and that's another push we're doing at Userflow is trying to reduce these. Uh, there's this tradition in, in SaaS to do sales demos, right? Um, and we always... First of all, on our website, we made it so that's like a tertiary kind of action, right? The, the primary action is they sign up for a free trial with our product. And we really try to hide a bit away that we also offer demos, but it is there. And even when they then try to schedule a demo, we write them. But you should really try the software before you do a demo because what ends up happening in those demos, if they haven't tried the software, is that it just becomes like this kind of I could have done it as a video, right? Like I, I could have. I'm not saying anything novel. I'm just saying the same thing. Uh, it's a waste of time, isn't it? Exactly, right? Uh, I'm, I'm a, I'm like a video, right? Like I could, I could be a video that is like uh, just saying this is what this does. This is what ah great they say, right? And I could also have sent them a video that said exactly the same. But if they've tried the product then it's okay to do a call, right? Because then it becomes an actual conversation. Oh, I tried this. How do I do this? Uh, Can I do this as well? And so on, right? Then it's much more interesting. And I think it's actually a much better way to assess a product, right? Try it first and then do a call to, if you need a call even, uh, to to talk about it, right? I agree Um, with you. I think we do need to have less meetings. Yeah. 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 And I don't think the remote, uh, the whole remote world in some ways, it changed it a bit, the need for that. But in other ways, it also, and that's the, I think in big organizations, uh, the smaller things became meetings as well, which you should be careful about then. If you didn't, either you were smart and you said, okay, we we can work more asynchronously, like use things like Loom video and, you know, send videos to each other, use yes. documentation systems. I love Loom. I use yes, that all the time. Uh, we do the same uh, for support and so on. So you can send a short video because then it becomes personalized, but it's it's asynchronous, right? You don't need to sit on a call together to, to, to talk about it. Um, so that 
I think a lot of companies went in that direction, but some companies maybe started doing a bit the opposite. And that was like when they had a, like a small question, let's say they didn't have all this great software in place that could facilitate fast communication like Slack and Teams or whatever to chat quickly about something. Then it ends up becoming a meeting, right? Because suddenly this single small question they had, they would in the past have maybe covered by walking up to the person in the office and asking, uh, what is this about? Uh, and great, that would have been a five minute conversation. Now that becomes a meeting for somebody. To, they book a meeting to have to ask that single question, <laughs> no. right? Um, and that that that's not the solution. The solution is the other way that we that I just mentioned, where you you document more, you use chat systems, you you use software, right, to to uh, to remove this uh, need for meetings. Yeah, I agree with you on that. So so I know what your challenge is. Where do you think? I mean, it sounds like you have a perfect storm, right? You've got the end user error, you've got the product growth trend, right? Yeah. You have even the remote workforce. That's like a, yeah. a thing in your favor, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, you've got this whole um, non-devs becoming devs, right? Yeah. Where does this segment of the industry go? What is it? What does it look like five years? What does SaaS look like five, 10 years? Paint that yeah. picture for me for the workforce, for enterprise, for small companies, the economy. Yeah. No. Yeah, no. So I think SaaS is gonna, as Mark Andreessen said, eat the world. Uh, so you 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 gotta start seeing software in every process. I think my home country, Denmark, is actually a brilliant example of that. Now I live in the U.S. Uh, Denmark is a very small country, but they digitalized uh, all the government processes, so nothing is based on paper. Um, and I think that's when you start seeing that in every country in the world. That, then we know software has uh, uh, reached its full potential, right? Uh, and uh, and that that's we still have a long way to go there, especially in the U.S. I think there are so many paper processes still. Uh, so many when it comes to government. Government. So yeah. So I think that that is uh, that's what we need to see. So it's basically just a. It's not even like everybody talk about AI and all. Yes, that's also going to come, right? But those are the people who are like one step ahead of the curve, right? Um, really, what we need to do first is bring software to everyone and every process. Um, so, so yeah, I think that's what we're going to see. So when you talk about um, Denmark, right, and their whole their mm -hmm. government being yeah. digitalized, yeah, you know, in America before government will do it, it has to come through business. It has yeah. to be initiated through business. I don't know. Was yeah. that the same in your country? No. So Denmark is a very uh, government driven country, right? Um, so uh, they actually made their own IT uh, department and, and you can say, should they do that? There, there's a bit of a, especially as an entrepreneur, that's not so cool because what they end up doing is they, they go with these large, large IT consultancies to do these things and they end up building custom systems for government, right? Um, where the entrepreneurial idea is more build something that a lot of people can use standardized and software. And what you saw was when Denmark started doing this was they were not buying those standardized software. They were buying consultancies who were building customized software, right? And 
you can say that's fine, it worked for Denmark, but what if Denmark had actually built it as standardized software, then they could have sold that to the world, right? Um, and that's um, that's always the argument you can make for, for why businesses should be more involved. Uh, but I think it's still kudos to Denmark for actually being able to do it, right? Like I think, um, and it was purely like government driven together with consultancies, right? And they built systems for things like tax, so in US, we use TurboTax, right, which is a business doing there. The business, it's a business solving um, a problem uh, that the government should maybe solve themselves. But you can say the US way is that the business solves it, right? And that's great. Um, but the problem is only if, if business in tax, that can work, right? And TurboTax has been able to do that. But in uh, other areas of government, people are not able to do that, right? But in Denmark, they have been because it was a more integrated uh, kind of process of building the software for the government, right? Um, yeah. Well, so kudos in, so to Denmark. Yeah. In America, uh, it's yeah, going to have mean, to come through the businesses, right? Yeah. And it's a small, Denmark is a small country, so it's easier to do these things, right? right? Um but I think the first, yes, you can say it should come through business, but I think the U.S. government should make it a priority, right? Like they should, and and right, and this comes down to UX. Uh, that's really the big, U, it seems like they don't care about the UX for their end users, right? Like the well, U.S. government, government doesn't. doesn't care. They don't care about the <laughs> no, UX government of doesn't. their end users. Exactly. Uh, and government doesn't, yeah. They, they uh, it seems like every governmental process is a painful at least a lot of them are painful processes for the end users, right? Yeah. Um, and it shouldn't be, right? Uh, working with governments should really be easy, right? It should be, you know, uh, software driven. And, and yeah, it's just... Well, Esben, I'll I talk to that, you next lifetime. Maybe that will change. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's so, uh, you know, just a simple thing as getting visas, right? Is a, That's so... Ugh, don't even get me started on that. Yeah, yes. you're exactly yeah. right. Yes. Um, so... so Let's, so basically, you know, business is going to have to change that before government will in America. Where do you think that's going to yeah. come from? Do you think it's going to come from the SMBs really pushing it or enterprise yeah. first? I think I think right now we're in a, in a mix, right? Um, I think where you have the most potential to change the most is actually SMB. There, I think probably in SMB, that's where there still are a lot of non-software driven processes so yeah software companies focusing on smb are great right like we use a company called gusto for um a payroll and you know there's still a lot of uh, smbs in a, in the us that does payroll on spreadsheets or pen and paper uh, and which is insane but uh, that's how it is um, and i think uh, that that's amazing if a company like gusto can go out and and really uh, get all those small businesses to start using a software for their payroll, right? Um, yeah, and it brings down costs tremendously. Yeah. 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 So so I think that's the untapped potential. I think enterprises, they've just been forced to do it, right? Like enterprises have been forced to use a software to grow and scale, and they have the money. Uh, so I think the next market business-wise is definitely um, SMBs, Um and then, yeah, government. I agree with you that. on that. Government, I government agree needs to also happen at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yes. 
Esben, what, what were you like as little Esben? I mean, like, were you <laughs> always sort of this, like, uh, well, you know, you grew up in this, you know, different era, right? Technology is just part yeah, I of think, life. You were know, you always I think looking I was, for better ways to do things? Yeah, so I think I grew up in this, um, uh, so I'm born in 85. Uh, I'm, I grew up in a generation where there was a mix of people, right? And where I was one of the first people to get a computer, um so i think the later generations all of them had a computer right and before that nobody had a computer so i was in this generation where you had a mix of people so i became you know together with another group of people became the experts in computers and like uh, and you saw these other people and you didn't understand why they didn't understand all these things about computers right uh, and so on um so so i think in some ways yes i've always been a big proponent of like bringing more computer driven stuff to um, to the world right like and always been super interested in that and how you can uh, change the world with software I was also with my brother we were building websites very early on right and the internet was like it is a crazy place at that time you just built like these crazy websites uh, that you uh, with the strange music files and all <laughs> sorts of things right um was how old were uh, you when you were doing well, it was fun. Uh, that i was probably like 14 15 something like and that and who are you uh, building websites for or just just your uh, own website that was like i don't think we i don't think we had any interest in mind we're just like we're building these websites and we're hoping that some people were gonna go to them probably uh, <laughs> like-minded people uh, like ourselves uh, but we just had a lot of fun building it right like building something that was out there on the internet right um, and our audience was probably people who were like uh, similar to ourselves um, but yeah um, yeah it was just a lot of fun and i think my my uh, journey through studies and jobs and so on was always in software so i've always seen this um, as my first uh, student job in university was as a at a software called audit data that were doing um software for the audiology industry where they were helping uh, people um one by many uh, managing people who were you know had ear hearing aids but they were also using software to fit the hearing aids right so that's Hearing aids has always been, they actually been very technology driven, like the way you can fit hearing aids through software and, and do all sorts of cool stuff um, uh, to make, basically allow people to hear normally again, right? And that's just amazing. Um, so that, it is that's, amazing. And, and, and you can do a lot of great things uh, like that with software. How did you like working, uh, you know, gaining that knowledge of global IT de like development and uh, with Accenture? Uh, yeah, no, so uh, in, yeah, I joined, uh, just, I joined Accenture after my studies, um, and that was a great, I, I always wanted, you know, this is something I'm, uh, today I'm a bit more, uh, I'm advocating for more people to become entrepreneurs straight out of university, right, and I think you, in the US it's a bit more normal, but in Denmark it wasn't, mm. uh, and now it's becoming better, um, but uh, in, the, in Denmark at that time, the normal thing was just to go into a big consultancy because that's where you could uh, get the cool jobs and, and, and right. all that, right? Um, well, it gave you a really good global perspective, right? Yeah, it does. It does. And it, and it did. I, I mean, I worked in different countries and so on. I worked with people from all over the world. Um, so it did give me a, a global perspective, but it also made me realize that 
when you're a consultant, um, an IT consultant, you're building these systems. Uh, and again, it's typically these are large scale systems, right? So it's like large IT systems that you are, you are building. Um, and you kind of, you don't forget about the end user, but you forget about the end user experience. Uh, you, you do. You, you look at the end user as a, somebody who has some requirements. They need to be able to do this. And that's how you think about it, right? So that, that's really what it, okay, they need to be able to do this. Yes, I could spend some time making the UX of that super nice, but reality is these projects are often like pressed for time. So it ends up becoming maybe not the best user experience. You maybe use some legacy software to like, uh, you know, the SAPs of the world, the Oracle's really old software. Um, so you, the, the basis for your software is just not, really user-friendly, right? Um, so you end up building more, it just, you're, you're filling requirements, right? You're allowing people to do what they're supposed to do, but you haven't thought user experience into it. Uh, and the other big thing is you're building this software very customized for a single big business, right? Um, and what I wanted to do was to build some software that couldn't be used by many companies, right? Like, uh, and, and be re reused. And that's what I, that's why I decided to embark on this entrepreneurial journey. One, to, to bring something to the world that more people could use and benefit from. Um, and also, I think, be own, own my own uh, delivery, right? Like, uh, because as a consultancy, you, you end up delivering the software. And then the the customer starts using it, but then you're gone, right? Then you answer the next project. Um, yeah. Where it's like you're talking the own, talk, but not walking the walk, right? Exactly. When when we own the software, we can't walk away, right? We we have to if if there's a problem. You better make it better. Saying, <laughs> exactly. Our customers are saying this doesn't work. Uh, I don't know how to do this. Then we need to fix that, right? Um, so so yeah, uh, I think that's that's something I like as well that I own. Own yeah. the delivery from throughout the life cycle. Basically. I think your experience has really made it very um, personal for what you're doing yeah. now, right? Yeah. Did yeah. you ever have I, a moment where you were like, "That's it. That's F and it. I'm like going to make this better for the end user." There was there ever a, a point in your career where you were like, "This is where we're going." There was not. There was not. I think there were definitely points when I was working in IT consultancy where I had to be the tough guy who told the customers, but you can't, like, this is the, the you can't do this, right? And you, you feel kind of bad uh, because you know you're, you're giving them maybe a solution that is a bit worse, uh, right? Uh, but you, you know, you have to drive this project to completion, right? Um, so, so there, and I would say in some cases, that's also the right thing to do. But in other cases, you are, you are, you are limiting user friendliness, right? Um, so, so I think I had experiences like this, but I think as I started the entrepreneurial journey, which I just started on kind of randomly, I met a, a guy in Accenture who convinced me to, to, to start Cobalt. Um, and, but as from when the day one I've been doing Cobalt and today when I'm doing Userflow, I always think about user experience. Like I can't stop thinking about it. Like it, it's um, it really molded Cobalt, you, didn't it? In Cobalt, when I hear a customer saying, uh, when I was hearing a customer saying, "We can't do this," then I always thought, "Okay, how can we solve that in the product? How can we make the product smarter?" And that's also the approach we have in Userflow. Uh, and it's really that product-led mindset. Don't 
don't add a person to answer that support question, uh, fix it in the product itself. That's uh, badass. I love yeah. that. That's what makes yeah. you a disruptor, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, so what are your crazy passions? What do you do outside of uh, yeah, no, so I, do a lot of, uh, I love I love traveling uh, during the pandemic. I've been traveling all over the US uh, and I experienced the amazing nature that this country has to offer. Uh, um, uh, so I, I, I'm a avid hiker and biker. Uh, so I love uh, hiking and and uh, riding my bicycle. Um, and yeah, I've been in amazing places this uh, last two years, Utah and Colorado and all these amazing places. Beautiful and state. Right now, Right now, I'm back in the in in the in the Bay Area, and that's also a great place for, especially bicycling. Uh, it's uh, amazing here. Yeah, it's true. So, what was one of your uh, best experiences traveling around the U.S. and like in nature? Like you thought, oh my gosh, this is just beautiful. Oh man, there are so many. But the area around, I think Moab uh, in Utah is just one of the most uh, beautiful places in the world. Uh, it's uh, yeah, with Arches National Park and, and Canyonlands, it feels like being on Mars or something. It's just something you wouldn't see anywhere else, uh, and I think that's 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 quite amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah. And do you ever have this like perspective coming from a small country to like, you know, America as far as like space? <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of space in America, <laughs> that's, that's for true. sure. Uh, I would say, and no offense to Nevada, but it's not the most interesting place to drive through uh, when you go from <laughs> California to Utah. Um, there's just, it's a big desert, right? Uh, and it's just like, uh, when you've seen uh, one part of it, you've kind of seen it all. Uh, it's true. <laughs> So, so a desert and, and is a desert to, is a desert. I have to right? take that uh, drive a lot of times uh, because that's the, the fastest way to get back to California from or uh, Colorado and Utah is uh, Nevada, right? Um, so, yeah, that, that 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 there's a lot of space, and in some places it's beautiful, right? Up in like uh, Wyoming and uh, you know these kind of places, it's just so beautiful. absolutely gorgeous. And, yeah. So, yeah. Well, maybe you can change the user experience through Nevada sometime. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, even though the software is eating the world, I still highly encourage people to go outside and experience the, I, I'm not quite sure we need a metaverse just yet. Uh, I don't, I think the real world is pretty great as it is, and we should just experience it more. Amen. Well, we will leave yeah. it on that controversial <laughs> note here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> awesome. Hey, Esben, how do people get a hold of you? Um, so I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Esben Christensen, and then I'm also on Twitter. Uh, so EspenFJ is my handle on Twitter. And if they want to find you on Userflow? Uh, just go to userflow.com. Great. Thanks, Esben. Yep. Thank you. That's a wrap, everyone. If you learned something today, go tell someone about this podcast. And thank you for listening to Disruption Interruption, where we transform lives, change consumer behavior, alter economics, and never accept the status quo. Ciao for now. Because we live in a highly litigious society with America being one of the top litigious countries in the world, here's our legal disclaimer. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional public relations or legal advice. Do not disregard seeking professional legal, healthcare, or financial advice or delay seeking professional PR or legal advice because of something you have heard here. Contact an attorney to obtain advice on any particular legal situation or problem. Use of this podcast or our website or any of its social media or email links do not create an agency-client relationship between Joto PR and the user.